0: I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, John chapter 14. As I said earlier, my family and I were out of town for a little bit, and uh, so I haven't preached in two weeks, and that's a dangerous thing, because I've got two weeks of stuff stored up. I, um, I'm not real sure exactly what we want to do. What I've got in my heart to do this morning is to uh, speak on the Holy Ghost, I'm not sure, I don't have a, Uh, sermon title or a series title or anything like that we'll just see where it goes but uh, uh, but I've really had some things uh, that the Lord's been dealing with me about for the last several weeks about the Holy Ghost and about the fact that so many of us take him for granted and don't utilize the power of God that's within us so let's start here in John chapter 14 this is the last night that Jesus is with his disciples it was the night that he was betrayed uh, the night of the last supper And John gives us some information that none of the other gospel writers do as a first-hand witness, eyewitness. And this was the last of the gospel accounts, uh, the second to the last book that was written in the New Testament. And so John's looking back many years later and recalling and uh, writing down by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost things that we need to know that Jesus told them, the the 11, Judas has already gone out from the room, but uh, told his disciples to equip them. To do the work that he had for them to do after he was going to be gone. So in John chapter 14 beginning in verse 16. Jesus said about the Holy Ghost and I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. That he may abide with you for a little while. That he may abide with you forever. I like the Amplified on this because it uh, it brings out uh, six different names or, or titles. For um, in addition to comforter. The word comforter means helper. In the Greek, the Greek word is paraclete, literally, most often translated helper. But it means several different things, and the Amplified brings it out. Uh, The Amplified brings out that it means counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. Now, folks, I know we're going over these pretty quickly, but if you took time to go through each and every one of these words and the meanings of them and uh, the definitions and so forth, you'd readily find out that's just about all the help you'd ever need in any area of life. And that's the point Jesus is trying to get across. Notice he says another comforter. And I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. In other words, he's saying the word another is indicating he will be a comforter, a help to you, a strengthener, a standby to you in the same way that I have been for the last three years. Now, these 11 guys have been totally dependent on Jesus for the last three years of their lives. There's not been one thing that they've been responsible for Apart from him. There's not been one aspect of their life that they've operated in or, or conducted any, in any way separate from him. So he's saying, I'll give you another comforter. In other words, I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm not going to leave you orphans. So many times people in the church world seem to have the idea that, oh, wouldn't it have been a wonderful thing to live when Jesus was here on the earth? Do you know that if you, had, if you were able to go back from where you are right now, what you have right now, and live in the days of Jesus here on the earth, you'd wish for these days? You've got more than they had. But see, we think from the natural standpoint. We think from the, the physical. We think about, oh, if we saw the miracles that Jesus did. A lot of people saw the miracles that Jesus did and didn't make any difference to them. How do you know it would do you? A lot of people heard Jesus speak and walked away from him. How do you know you wouldn't? No, the Bible says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. You live in a better day. And Jesus told his disciples, it's better for you. It's more expedient for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter can't come. I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever. Verse 17 even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. Notice this. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, there's a question that needs to be considered here, in my opinion. And that is, this last night that Jesus is spending with his disciples, in the last words, literally the last few words that he's uh, sharing with them, Knowing what's to come. Knowing that he's going to the cross. Knowing he's going to be betrayed in just a matter of an hour or two. A couple hours I guess. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to shed his blood. He's going to make redemption for all of mankind. He's giving them the last instructions that he's going to give them face to face before the work of the cross. Therefore we have to consider, at least I do. Is he speaking generally or is he saying things in a specific manner? If you were going to take the last time, last opportunity that you had to give specific instructions to your loved ones before you went on to be with the Lord, would you speak in general terms or would you give specific instructions? I'd want to be as clear as I could be, wouldn't you? I therefore have to assume that Jesus is doing the same thing. And notice what he said about the Holy Ghost. Notice what he said about this comforter. He said the comforter would be with them and... In them. Now again if he's speaking generally. As much of the church world seems to think that he was. Then they're thinking well that just means you're going to get saved. And the Holy Ghost is going to come make you a new creature on the inside. And uh, change you and you'll be born again. And and that'll be great. He'll be with you and he'll be in you. Kind of a general he's going to be there. Or Jesus is speaking specifically and he's saying. There's two works of the Holy Ghost. One is he'll be with you. Meaning working with you from without and living with you from within. Which one is he talking about? Turn back with me to uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, Jesus says some things about the Holy Spirit to the woman at the well of Samaria. Let's start reading in verse, uh, well, let's just start in verse 3. We'll read down through and get some context here. Speaking of Jesus, it said, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey. Notice Jesus got tired when he was here on the earth, just like you do. Jesus, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, that's about noon, and there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat or food. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God, notice what he said, if you knew the gift of God and number one, the gift of God, number two, who it is that said to thee, give me to drink, you would have asked of me, him meaning me, and he would have given you living water. The woman said unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She's thinking naturally. She's thinking, you're talking about living water. You're going to give me living water. The only water around here is in the well. You don't have anything to get the water out of the well in. How are you going to do that? So you can see, she he's speaking spiritually. She's thinking naturally. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Now, I tell her the difference between the water he's talking about and what she's considering or talking about. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him, in him, shall be in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I want you to notice there are two things that you need to consider, or two things we'll point out uh, to consider, and that is he talks about the water in you, and the purpose of that water is that it brings eternal life. Turn with me over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we'll start reading in verse 37. In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Notice in John chapter 4, he's talking about a well of water in you, springing up into everlasting life. Now he's talking about rivers of living water. Now what's the difference in a well and a river? They're both water. What's the difference in in a well and a river? Well, a well benefits the person that owns the well. And a river benefits everybody. A river connects people. Nobody owns a river. Rivers flow from one place to another and connect people thereby. Cities are built on rivers. Why? Because there's trade, there's commerce, there's travel. It's a connecting thing here in the earth. So he said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers, not singular river, a river, rivers, plural. Of living water. But this spake he of the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For that the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, notice what he said. He's talking about the Holy Ghost in connecting people, he's talking about the Holy Ghost flowing out of you. In John chapter 4, he's talking about the Holy Ghost, which is the, the, the saving agent, he is the agent of God that brings the new birth. The Bible tells tells us we're born of the Spirit of God. So that's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit in us brings eternal life, benefits us with everlasting or eternal life. Everlasting or eternal life isn't longevity. It's talking about a quality of life. It's talking about the God kind of life, the God that's more than enough, the character and the nature of God's life. Here he's talking about the Holy Spirit being given to them that believe. So in my opinion, and I I believe I can prove it by Scripture, in my opinion, he's talking about two different works. Those that believe have already received the well. Those that receive this experience of rivers of living water, he's talking about something else that happened even with the disciples. So we see some evidence, maybe not conclusively yet, but we see some evidence that there's a dual work of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me now over to John chapter 20. Let's see this in practice. John chapter 20. This tells us about the resurrection morning. First of all, I want you to notice. When Mary comes to him. Or comes to the sepulcher. She's looking for him. She wants to finish the burial process. She can't find him. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. She can't find him. And um, Jesus saw her. She didn't know who he was. Notice in verse 15. Jesus said unto her woman why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener. So he must have looked different than he did when he was here on the earth. She's supposing him to be the gardener. Said unto him sir if thou hast borne him hence. Tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her Mary. Notice she recognized him by him. Calling her name. His personal association with her. You know I believe that's the way God ought to. That's the way I believe we should know God. In every situation. Is by our personal association with him. By him knowing our name. So he said Mary. She turned herself and said unto him Rabboni. Which is to say master. Now notice what Jesus said. Jesus said unto her. Touch me not for I am not yet ascended to my father. Hebrews 9.35 says Jesus entered in once and for all into the heavenly holy of holies. Well, it says into the holy place. We like to think that there's a temple in heaven that's, that was patterned uh, the pattern for the temple that was made here on the earth, which had a, an inner sanctum, an inner a place called the holy of holies. The Bible never really says that. That's one of our church traditions, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. It sounds good, and and, uh, I've heard it said before, and so I've just repeated what other people say. But really what it says is Jesus entered in once and for all into the holy place. I don't know what the holy place is in heaven. I don't know why there would be a temple in heaven because all of heaven is a temple. It's where God lives. So why would there need to be a separate building or a separate location to worship God when all of heaven and all of the inhabitants of heaven are worshiping God constantly anyway? So that just may be a matter of our tradition or our uh, religious thinking rather than what the Bible really says. However, what it does say in Hebrews 9.35 is that Jesus entered in once and for all into the holy place and offered his own blood before the Father. Well, apparently that hasn't happened yet because Jesus said he hadn't been to the Father. So Jesus stops by on the earth, talks to Mary, gives her instructions to go tell the disciples, but says, look, don't touch me yet. You would contaminate me. Anything of the earth would contaminate him. So he said, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend. I'm going there. I'm going to fulfill Hebrews 9.35. I'm going to the Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that she had spoken these things unto her. Verse 19, Then the same day, later on in that day in the evening, Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled. Why? For fear of the Jews. Please notice they're behind closed doors. They've got the doors closed. They've got the doors locked. They've they've hidden themselves away. They don't want anybody to know where they are. They're trying to stay in secret because they're afraid of the same people that crucified Jesus. Please notice that. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost." Now, I've got a simple question for you. Did they get something or did they not get something? If they did not get something, then Jesus lied to them. Jesus is tricking them. Jesus says, he breathes on them. Same word, by the way, that is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the the Hebrew Old Testament, where it says in Genesis chapter 2 that God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Jesus breathed on them. And said receive the Holy Ghost. If they did not receive something. Then Jesus has deceived them. Because you. Anybody. You I or anybody else. Would expect. That for somebody to say. Especially Jesus. To say that to you. And take that action towards you. You would expect to get something. Once he said receive. You'd expect you're going to get something. Wouldn't you? If they did not get something. Then Jesus has deceived them. He said, receive you the Holy Ghost. Now, notice what he speaks of the Holy Ghost in connection with. Receive you the Holy Ghost. Verse 23, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Notice he speaks of the Holy Ghost receiving the Holy Ghost in connection with the remission of sins. There's a um, uh, one thing that the, the King James translation of the New Testament is really, really poor on. Is the concept of forgiveness? Because the New Testament translations, over and over again, speak of forgiveness of sins relative to the Christian, and it speaks of forgive. Well, I'm sorry, it speaks of forgiveness of sins relative to salvation, and that's never the case. That's never the case. In fact, when we think of the old, te- uh, the um, uh, the promises made to us from the Old Testament through the prophets, when we think of the promises of what salvation was about. We think of forgiveness of sins. We even say to to those that are unsaved, come give your life to Jesus and he'll forgive your sins. God doesn't forgive your sins. He remits your sins. To forgive means to cover them over. To remit means to wipe them out. Remission of sins is what happens in the new birth. Your sins are wiped away. That's why the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature here's the difference between the old testament and the new testament their sins were forgiven year after year after year well if they're just forgiven why do they have to keep making the sacrifice each year if the if the sins were wiped away then what's the additional sacrifices for the sins weren't wiped away you remember when jesus was talking to uh, uh, a group of the pharisees he was uh, teaching in a certain place Uh, i believe it was his own house And uh, there were four guys that let down a crippled man through the the roof. You remember the story? The Bible says that when Jesus saw him coming down through the roof. It says, Luke's account says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, thy sins are forgiven to me. And the Pharisees went crazy over that. They said, who is this guy? Who can forgive sins but God only? And Jesus said this. He said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know. That the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. Please notice that phrase. That you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. Do you know Jesus didn't have the power on earth to remit sins? Why? Because he hadn't shed his blood. Jesus couldn't remit sins. Yours, mine or anybody else's. But he could forgive them. He could excuse them. But he couldn't wipe them away. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up your bed and walk. And he did. Jesus didn't have the power to remit sins there on the earth. But as soon, as soon, as soon, as he presents himself in the holy place before this heavenly Father, presents his blood once and for all, makes an eternal sacrifice once and for all, immediately, same day, few hours later, he comes back. We know it hadn't happened when he talked to Mary. Because he said don't touch me. I haven't been there yet. Now a couple of hours later. He shows back up to the disciples. And breathes on them. And says receive the Holy Ghost. In connection with the remission of sins. Now did he give them some special power. To remit sins that they and only they would have. No. No. He's saying here's what salvation is about. Salvation is about anybody who receives Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 12 I think it is. Says as many as received him. Gave he the power to become the sons of God. As many as received him. Gave he power to become the sons of God. What he's doing there. Is he's making them sons of God. By breathing on them saying, receive the Holy Ghost, their sins become remitted. They are born again. They become righteous in the sight of God. And he says, this will work to anybody you preach about me too. He said, whosoever believes on me, whosoever receives me, you have the power to tell them the same thing I'm telling you, and that is their sins are remitted. See, folks, that's the good news. The good news is that Jesus has already done the work. One of the greatest truths of mankind. Of this life here on the earth. Is that you can't escape who you are. The man that's unsaved. The man or woman that's unsaved. They know there's an emptiness in them. The Bible calls it spiritual death. Spiritual death just means separation from God. What that means is God made you to fit together with him. He made you in his image. He made you to fit together with him. If you are By the the presence of sin here on the earth, if you are separated from Him, then that's an emptiness. You're only half a person. The missing part, the God part that you were created to enjoy and to experience and to, to have dwelling within you, that's missing. So no matter what somebody does, again, I'm talking about the unsaved. They may get involved in charitable works, community service. They may do all kinds of good things. They may build a name for themselves through philanthropic works or whatever the case might be. They're still in the stillness of their own heart. They know they're empty inside. They may try to distract themselves from that emptiness through any number of things. They might throw themselves into their jobs. They might take up certain hobbies or sports or activities or leisure things. They might distract themselves with with drinking or drugs or, or whatever the case might be. The things of the earth. But in the stillness of their own heart. When they get quiet in the dead of night. Which is why some people won't try, will try never to slow down. They'll try to keep themselves going and going and going. Because they don't want to get quiet. Because when they get quiet in the stillness of their own heart. They know there's an emptiness there. And no matter what good things they do. No matter what things they do in this life. They may be thought of as, the, as a great person. They may be successful, they may be rich, they may be famous, whatever it is, when they get quiet in the stillness of their own heart, if they don't know Jesus, they know there's an emptiness there. And they can't escape that. There's nothing that you can do on your own to escape that. But thank God somebody did something for you. His name was Jesus. That's what's happening here in John chapter 20. He says to the disciples, receive the Holy Ghost. Did they get something or did they not get something? Jesus speaks of this receiving the Holy Ghost in connection with the remission of sins. If they got something, it ought to be evident, shouldn't it? I mean, we ought to see some difference or some change in them. Turn back with me to to, uh, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, it speaks of Jesus talking with the disciples... Notice in verse 49, it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, upon you. But tear ye in the spirit city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. We know that's the Acts 2 experience that we'll talk about in a little bit. What I want you to see is that has not yet occurred. This is prior to the Acts 2 experience that the disciples had in the upper room. Most of the, the church world says that the church began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This takes place before then. John chapter 20 takes place almost 50 days before, 47 days before the day of Pentecost takes place. What is that, a month and a half, a little over a month and a half? This that we're about to read is taking place before the day of Pentecost. We don't know exactly when. It's not the same occurrence as on the, the, the day that he appeared in John chapter 20. But it's before the day of Pentecost you know, Is in, in some measure, some time frame. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, verse 50. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. That's sure not the condition in John chapter 20. They're behind closed doors. They're keeping their their meeting place secret because they're afraid of the Jews. Well, they must not be afraid of the Jews anymore because they're openly in the temple praising and blessing God. They're not hiding out anymore. And notice the thing that it says. They return with great joy. They return with great joy. It's interesting to me that the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22 when it talks about the fruit of the spirit. It says the, the fruit of the spirit is first love. We're born again by the love of God. Secondly joy. Now what is the fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit are the characteristics of God. The nature of God that take place in the born again believer. Well, how come they have joy if they're not born again? How can they have joy? How can they have boldness and no fear anymore? Because even though they've seen Jesus, I mean, let's face it, they've been walking with Jesus for three years. They wind up being behind closed doors because they're afraid. How come they're not afraid anymore? Something's changed. Something's happened. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here's Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, relating the same thing that he said in in Luke 24, verse 49. I guess I better back up to verse 4. Well, let's just back up. uh, Start in verse 1. The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's referring to that we know of as the gospel of Luke. He said, that former letter that I wrote, here's what it was about. It's about all the things Jesus began both to say and to do. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. What commandments did he give them? Well, he's going to tell you one in just a moment. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In other words, it says that after Jesus was raised from the dead, three days after Passover, when he was raised from the dead, it's another 47 days. There's 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. There's 50 days. So Jesus appeared to them in John chapter 20 on day 47, if we're counting down to Pentecost. And it says that from that time forward, he stayed with them off and on for 40 days. So he finally disappears from them about a week before Pentecost. A week before Acts chapter 2. Speaking to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Boy, I'd like the notes on that. Actually, we have them. They're called the epistles. Epistles. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. Can I ask you a question? Why, why, why? If they've already been born again in John chapter 20, is he saying, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Ghost? Could it be that not only is it important for the Holy Ghost to be in you, the well of water springing up into everlasting life, but it's also important if you're going to do the work of God, finish the work of Jesus here on the earth, now that He's gone to the, sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven, you're going to need those rivers of living water that connect you to other people. Apparently so, because that's what He tells them. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, if John chapter 20 is true, they've been baptized or they have been saved, they have received the Holy Ghost about forty for forty days they've been saved for a little over a month before this point in time, assuming that this is the last day that they that they see Jesus, the last of the forty days that he appears to them before Pentecost, seven days left between this occurrence, this time when Jesus speaks to them or that it's recorded, and the day of Pentecost takes place. so if that's the case, then between John chapter twenty and Acts chapter one. There's been about 40 days. He appeared to them on day 47. He departs from them on day 7. You do the math. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So Jesus speaks of the baptism of the Holy Ghost as in a different form, in a different manner than receiving everlasting life. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. But you shall receive power. But you shall receive power. But you shall receive power. Notice he did not say and you shall be converted. Notice he did not say and you shall be born again. Notice he did not say you shall receive eternal life. Now folks, if the day of Pentecost was the day that the church was born, there's nothing more important for them than to receive eternal life. Why isn't he talking to them about eternal life? Because they're already saved they're already born again remember what we read in john chapter 7 where jesus said in the last day of the feast if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water belly meaning innermost being out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water but this spake he of the holy ghost which they that believe on him should receive they qualify for that they believed on him That's why they breathed on them and said receive the Holy Ghost. That's why they received the remission of sins. That's why there was a change in their nature. A change from sadness to joy. From fear to boldness. Now they have believed on him. And they're about to receive these rivers of living water. And notice how Jesus says it. You'll receive power. So those rivers are powerful things then. Obviously. By definition. They must be the power of God. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of power. Because that's what he said that we'd receive. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I love how John Osteen used to say this. After the disciples were born again, after the the eleven received the Holy Ghost. Well, actually, there were 10 in John chapter 20, and then a few verses later, Thomas, who wasn't there at the time, shows up, and Jesus deals with him. So eventually, all 11 of them are are saved, receive salvation. Then Jesus said to them, this is the way John Osteen used to say it, since they've already been commissioned to go into all the world, he tells them, don't even think about having church without the power of the Holy Ghost. Boy, I wish the modern-day church took that seriously. I'd like another thing that, uh, that this verse brings out. Notice he says you shall receive power. He didn't say you'll feel powerful. I think people confuse those. If we have the power of the Holy Ghost, people surmise or people assume we're going to feel the power. Well, where does the Bible say you'll ever feel the power? The Bible says you have the power if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Spirit. The Bible says you have the power. It doesn't say you feel the power. But we, being natural creatures, are so used to our feelings, we assume that anything we have, we feel, and if we don't feel it, we don't have it. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that means 50 days after Jesus was crucified, 47 days after Jesus appeared to him in John chapter 20, seven days after Jesus speaks to him and says, stay in Jerusalem until you receive this power from on high. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. All. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now folks, this can't be salvation because tongues don't accompany salvation. Very rarely will somebody get saved and begin to speak with tongues. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes somebody will be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit simultaneously. But that's a pretty rare occasion. Pretty rare occurrence. So it can't be salvation that that they receive. This can't be the beginning of the church. This is the beginning of the work of the church. But it can't be the beginning of the church. Nowhere does the Bible say you'll receive power after you make Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible talks about an eternal life. It talks about a change from the inside. But power is accompanied, always accompanies the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now I said before that one of the great truths of this life is that you can't escape who you are. Nobody can Turn with me over to Second Corinthians chapter 5. We talked about that from the position or the uh, uh, perspective of the unsaved. Let me show you this from the perspective of those who are saved. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17 is one of my favorites. You've heard me mention this and speak of this over and over again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Another translation says a new creation. Another translation says a new species of being. In other words, the born-again believer, the born-again man or woman, is something that never existed before. Something didn't exist in the Old Testament. Not even Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve weren't born again. Actually, the only born-again experience they had was being born again into death. Spiritual death. The born-again experience is, is brand new for the new covenant. That's why we have a better covenant established upon better promises. I never have understood why people keep trying to go back under Abraham's covenant or the, 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 the law of the Jews. You'll see this every now and then. You'll see people that want to get into Jewish worship. Why? They want to put themselves back under the Old Testament law or, or, or bondage or, or whatever the case is. The ritual of the Old Testament. You see some preachers, they start dressing themselves in, in robes and stuff like that from, the, from Judaism. Why in the world would you want to do that? We have a better covenant established upon better promises. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new species of being. In other words, that emptiness... That the unsaved have. In the stillness and the quietness of their own spirit. That emptiness can be filled only. By the blood of Jesus. Somebody once said. There's a God sized hole in every man and woman. Only Jesus can fill that. He made the sacrifice that we couldn't make. He paid a price we couldn't pay. So that you just simply by receiving. What he has done. Can be rejoined. To the God that made you. And that's the only way you can be. I don't care what a man's philosophy is. I don't care what his, what his uh, uh, practice. His religious practice is. I don't care what his reasonings are. I don't care about any of those other things. When he gets quiet. He knows there's an emptiness inside of him. That's one of the great tragedies. You got people that are in uh, false cults. And false religions. Giving themselves over to rituals. And practices. And different things like that. And in the quietness of their own heart. The stillness of their own heart. They know there's an emptiness. When they're they're going about the ritual. They're going about the routine. To fill whatever that emptiness is. Same thing's true for those. Who are irreligious or non-religious. They fill themselves with the world's activities. But they're still empty. There's nothing the world can offer us. That can end that emptiness. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. So when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, when we accept his sacrifice as our own, that's when we come into this condition. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new species of being. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. What things is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual things. Spiritual things. Verse 21. For he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus or in him. In my opinion, the key words in this verse are made. God made Jesus to be sin. He became. That's what the word made means. It means to become. Jesus became sin so that you might become righteous. As I said, you can't escape who you are. One of the great tragedies in the church world is that people haven't accepted the fact that they've been made righteous. I, I remember Brother Hagin talking about somebody that came to him one time many years ago. And he said, Brother Hagin, I heard you preach on righteousness. I heard you say these things that you did about righteousness. He said, I, I just, I'm trying to be righteous. I just wish I could be more righteous. And Brother Hagin stopped. He said he'd never thought about this before this time. So he accepted that it was the Holy Ghost that was leading him. He stopped and looked at him and said, are you a man or a woman? The guy was kind of offended, put off by that. He said, well, I'm a man. He said, how'd you become one? He said, well, I was born that way. He said, well, that's how you became righteous. Now, folks, I was born a man. Or a male. Now, I'm trying to be a better man. I try to be good through my behavior. But nothing I do can change the fact that I was born a man. A man. I might wake up one day and not feel like a man. And, and, uh, it, and it's, you see so many things going on in our society today and the world around us where people have these gender identity crisis. I hate to even think about it, but it makes a perfect illustration for righteousness. And somewhere through external circumstances, conditions, or whatever the case is, some thought comes to them that they begin to entertain. Maybe I'm not really a man. Well, I don't understand that. Seems to me like you can just look at yourself in the mirror and figure out one way or the other. But, you know. But somewhere along the way, they entertain. They begin to entertain these thoughts. Maybe it's not the way that it looks to be. Maybe it's not the way that that I'm told that it is. Maybe it's different for me. And they begin this confusing life. A life filled with confusion. An identity crisis. Who am I? Am I a woman trapped in a man's body or a man trapped in a woman's body? I don't understand that. I'm just repeating things that I've heard people relate or report. Well, in the same way, I think people have spiritual identity crisis. Because the Bible says you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But the devil wants to plant the thought in you that maybe you're not. Maybe righteousness is not the way the Bible says He'll try to keep you ignorant of what the Bible does say to begin with. But then secondly, he may say, well, maybe it's different for you. Maybe that's the way it works for other people. But you are not good enough to be righteous. Folks, like I said, I am a man and I'm working every day to be a better man. Now, what does that mean? That means for me that I'm trying to live in such a way that I can be better and better and better. In the same way, I was born again into the family of God. I was born again to be a Christian. What does that mean? That means God made me righteous. I was born again as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I work every day to be, to let that righteousness show forth. But there's a difference between being born something and behavior. I might, after having been born again, be considered by the world to be a good man or a bad man based on my behavior. But it doesn't change the fact of what happened in Christ Jesus. When you learn learn to accept that, I was made the righteousness of God in Christ. Boy, it changes everything. For example, the Bible says in, in James chapter 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Do you know what? If you've been born again, you are a prayer whiz. You are a prayer expert. You are in position. Now there are conditions you got to pray effectively. you got to pray fervently. But you have met the condition that the Bible, that the devil will try to tell you is out of reach for you. Most people read that verse of Scripture and the devil speaks to them and says, well, if only you were righteous, that would work. No, that part's settled if you're in Christ. You can't escape who you are. The most miserable people in the world are people that have been made righteous and they question it. Or they've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus and they're living apart from it. Those are the most miserable people in the world, because they're not living up to who they are. They're in a they're in a, a spiritual identity crisis. We call those backsliders in many cases. Well, what is it about backsliding? If backsliding was so great, why wouldn't everybody do it? Because it's miserable. I've been there. That was the time of my life where I was most miserable. Because there was a conflict. And I didn't even know then about righteousness what I know now. But there was a conflict. Because I knew that I was not living up to behavior. I was not living up to the who I was in Christ Jesus. I knew I was better on the inside than the man I was living up to on the outside. And that made me miserable. That made me miserable. You can't escape who you are. One of the things that's always fascinated me about the Apostle Paul... There were two things that he identified over and over and over again. He tells about his own story. He tells about, you know, the tribe of, of uh, being of the tribe of Benjamin. He tells about being uh, schooled in the, by Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest of the the, uh, uh, the Jewish rabbis. He talks about how he excelled in his zealousness against the church and, and was uh, on the fast track of the Pharisees and all this kind of stuff. He talks about himself more and more and more. Why does he do that? Is he bragging on himself? Is he just trying to, uh, you know, get something off his chest? No, he's, he's making something very clear to us. He knew who he was. He knew who he was. The second thing is he knew who God was in him. He knew who God was in him. One of the things that's always helped me recognize the work of God in me is to realize what was me and what was him. That's pretty easy for me because the me part is mostly the limited part. I'm very aware of the things that happen that I can't do. I'm very aware that that had to be God or else it wouldn't have gotten done. I don't think many Christians know who they are. I don't think many Christians know who the greater one on the inside of them is they haven't realized who they've been born to be you start coming into that realization you start realizing that you were born to be the righteousness of god in christ jesus here's another one the bible says many of the afflictions of the righteous but the lord de- delivers them out of a few no all many of the afflictions hard times test trials and troubles but the lord delivers them out of them all that means whatever your problem is, because you're righteous, there'll be an end to it. You'll come out victoriously. And see, that's one of the things the devil will try to beat you up about. The longer he can make something go, the more and more and more he tries to chip away at your confidence that it'll ever be any different than it is today. But you've got to promise that, that because you're righteous, the Lord delivers you out of every one of them. So I don't know how long your problem's going to last, but it'll end Because you've got a promise from God. That brings me comfort. That brings me to the place where I don't have to worry about am I doing something wrong? Is there something I should be doing that I'm not doing? Is there something that I'm not doing that I should be doing? Did I say that twice? Well, whatever. You know what I meant. (laughs) Devil tried to get you both ways. You're not doing what you should do or you're doing things that you shouldn't be. many of the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers them out of them all here's a problem well i don't want to say it that way it makes it makes it seem like somebody's doing something wrong and i'm not the one to judge i have a concern let me say it like this i have a concern with some of the teaching that goes on in the body of christ today it's great teaching it's truth the grace message is true no question about it and the grace message as i understand it and from what i've heard of it the grace message is about god's on your side he's not against you quit beating yourself up about what you've done wrong i'm all for that that's true but there's a there's a there's a danger in that because just as i said i'm born again the righteousness of god i've been born into the family of god meaning i've been born again as a christian i'm trying to be a better christian every day you can take the grace message, or you can take the idea that God's on your side and not work to be a better Christian. Now, for me, what that means is to, to let the love of God that I've been born again with dominate every aspect of my life, to be ruled and, 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 and controlled by the love of God and not by my own desires or my own flesh or whatever. That's a constant thing for me. That's something that's continually in front of my eyes. But I see some people that are taking hold of the grace message and it's kind of like, oh, man, now I can coast. Well, I'm not that person's judge. I'm not anybody else's judge. And if somebody's wanting to coast, okay, that's between them and God. But I don't want to coast. I want to grow in the love of God. I want to grow in the things of God. I want to grow in the character of Jesus. So I don't want anything to make me coast. I want something to make me stronger. I want the truth of the word to be a foundation that I can build on. Not just a place where I can let go and float down the stream. So I have a concern about some of the things that have taken place in the body of Christ. Now you hear, and some people will hear that and say, well, you're just trying to put us under, back under bondage. I'm not trying to put anybody under any kind of bondage. I just want to be the best that I can be according to what God's made me. But irrespective of whether I'm successful in that or not, I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've done the same thing. You've been made the same thing. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Who's going to help us do this? And I'll pray the Father, and He'll give you another comforter counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby. He's the one that dwells within you. He's with you, and He dwells within you. There's some things I want to talk to you about during this series. I know I'm out of time, so I won't get into it today. But there's some things that I want to talk to you about as we we go further in this. And we'll come up with a title and all that kind of stuff to make the people happy that get freaked out when you don't have titles. But there have been a number of things over the last several months, just a number of things, you know, probably 50 things, over the last several months. That the Lord has either brought to my attention. Or I've come across. Uh, come under the knowledge of. Situations that people are in. Where I can see so clearly. That it was the Holy Ghost trying to help them. To avoid some problem. But because people don't know. What the work of the Holy Ghost is supposed to be. On the inside of us. They don't know what the helper is supposed to do. They don't pray these things out. And they don't miss. Miss. The things that the Holy Ghost is trying to warn us to avoid, they wind up going through it, and they'll say after the fact, "Well, you know, I knew something. It was just something I've just known for for a month or two, or, or however long. I've just known that something was like this was going to happen." Well, why would God give you that inward knowing without giving you an opportunity to avoid it? And unfortunately, I've got more experiences. Not necessarily my own experiences, but these things that have come across. I've got more where people have failed to take advantage of the working of the Holy Ghost to avoid things. Than people that have taken hold of it and prayed it out and, 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 and detoured the tragedy that the devil meant for their destruction. Folks, that's not the way that we're supposed to live. That's not the greater one at work in the inside of us. Jesus did things that provided, protected, and and preserved his disciples when he was here on the earth. Why would the Holy Ghost be any less? Jesus said, I'll give you another comforter. The same kind of comforter that I've been to you. I'll give you another comforter. And he'll abide with you forever. He'll abide with you forever. Folks, the work of the Holy Ghost had not changed since Jesus sent him in Acts chapter 2. The work of the Holy Ghost had not changed since Jesus breathed on them in, in John chapter 20. The work of the Holy Ghost hadn't changed. Now, the, the belief of the church may have changed, but the work of the Holy Ghost hadn't changed. Jesus said he'd abide with us forever. We want to talk about some of these things. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you that the greater one lives and dwells on the inside of us. Thank you, Father, for the great Holy Spirit who is our comforter he's our counselor he's our helper he's our intercessor and our advocate our strengthener and our standby thank you father that he sees us through in every situation when we yield ourselves to him and to his work in us father forgive us for taking for granted that greater one that lives in us you've made provision for your power Your character and your nature to dwell within us. To benefit our lives in every area and every respect. And so many times we've tried to do it on our own anyway. Forgive us for that, Lord. And Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. Teach us and guide us. Teach us not just through this series and the things that we say, Father. But teach us. By the Spirit of God, how we can work together with Him effectively and cooperate with Him to manifest the presence of God and the character of Jesus in our lives. Oh, Father, we thank you that those of us that have made Jesus the Lord of our lives have been made righteous. And that'll never change. We are righteous in your sight. Your eyes are upon the righteous. Your ears are open to our prayers. Thank you, Father, that you deliver us from out of all of our trouble. Thank you, Lord. That there's nothing that can separate us from your love because we're in Christ. As much as Jesus is your son, we are also your sons and your daughters. Thank you, Lord, because we're a part of your family, because you've given unto us your son, there's nothing you'll withhold from us. Oh, Lord, help us to build and develop a confidence in that. That we might live up to who you've made us to be. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Well, let's all stand together. If you can come back and be with us this evening at 5 o'clock We're going to have prayer school again as we always do We'll be praying about the move of God in the last days And then healing school is here in the auditorium at 6 Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock We love you so much We appreciate so much you being our family We appreciate you putting the word of God first We appreciate your desire for the things of God It makes the work I do as a pastor a joy I mean that with all my heart God bless you Have a great day. Hopefully we'll see you this evening.